This is the No Wrong Answers podcast, your teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. The controversy over the Trump administration's immigration crackdown on the U.S.-Mexico border continues to simmer. Weeks after the White House instituted a controversial zero-tolerance policy that resulted in migrant children being separated from their families, thousands of children remain in American detention apart from their parents. And even though the family separation practice has been formally discontinued, confusion still reigns over when or even if all those children will in fact be reunited with their parents. That's one issue. Another is what's actually happening inside the estimated more than 100 shelters that house not only the children separated from their parents in recent weeks, but also the thousands of other children who have crossed the U.S.-Mexico border as so-called unaccompanied minors in the past few months and years. Some of them have already been in detention for months, and as their cases wind through a backlogged immigration court system, they face an indefinite future in custody. So, people are starting to ask, what kind of education are those children getting? Manny Fernandez is a reporter with The New York Times who has been doing reporting from the southern border throughout this most recent crisis. The latest story with his byline is about the education that is, or in some cases apparently is not happening inside these shelters. And Manny Fernandez joins us from the road by cell phone in Houston, Texas. Thank you for speaking with No Wrong Answers. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, First, just how many shelters are there total in the U.S.? How many children are housed in them? Uh, Where are these shelters? Uh, I mean, there's basically more than 100 shelters and other type of facilities that house uh, what the government calls uh, unaccompanied alien children, essentially immigrant youth that are either caught illegally coming across the border on their own without a parent or guardian, or these are some of the children that were separated from their families as part of that Trump policy. In about a hundred, more than a hundred facilities in about 17 states around the country. Uh, are these shelters required to provide some kind of education for these detained children? They are, yeah. Most of the shelters that I've been covering are state-licensed child care facilities. The biggest shelter, the one in Brownsville at the old Walmart. Um, So that is licensed by the state of Texas as a child care facility. And so there's a whole host of of standards that that site has to meet. Um, And it can range from building code uh, standards, fire inspection uh, issues. And there's also these other standards uh, that I was actually just looking at for a different story that have to do with the, the, the caregiver per child ratio. Uh, In Texas, there's a very complicated ratio that has to happen depending on your shelter, depending on how many kids you have there, and depending on what sort of services and treatment that those kids need. There's a formula that tells you you need one staff member per eight kids, or you need one per five kids, or if it's at nighttime, it's like one per 16 kids. And so a lot of these shelters actually do spend a lot of time kind of abiding by these different standards uh, and, so, and, and education is part of that. And essentially some of these standards are, are, are the state standards and then some of them come, are, some of them are federal standards. So the, the, the federal agency that mostly runs these shelters or oversees them is the Office of Refugee Resettlement, ORR, which has been in the news. And ORR tells the shelters uh, you have to give these kids uh, a minimum of six hours a day of of education, of, of education classes. Uh, in your, your reporting, uh, what were you able to find? What kind of 
of education is happening in those, you know, mandated six hours? What are these shelters doing? Well, you know, I mean, first, the first caveat is is that it's not fully known, right, exactly how these classes are run and if every child is, in, is indeed getting these minimum of six hours, um, you know, who teaches the classes. A lot of the real kind of basic overview stuff is not known because the government has not released that information. And I actually asked for when we were working on that story, I asked to sit in on two classes. And through a long process, you know, I essentially was turned down. I couldn't actually go there just to sit in on the classes, which is, you know, disappointing. But with the interviews with teachers, former teachers, different people involved in different shelters, you know, it's sort of hit and miss, right? I think some shelters really focus on this issue. And some shelters, I think, do a good job in educating these kids. I think other shelters aren't on top of it and don't do as good of a job or are overwhelmed. It seems like in some shelters, they do indeed get and want state-certified teachers to teach those classes, but that's not the case in every shelter. Some shelters, it seems like, when they're really swamped, they sort of get whoever, you know, they think is the best teacher to teach those classes, and not always a state-certified teacher. Uh, from, from your knowledge, who are the teachers? Are, are they certified? Do they have ESL certifications? Can they speak Spanish? Most of them, yeah. I think there's a lot of bilingual teachers. You know, a, a lot of these workers, teachers included, at these shelters come from the local communities. And so, I mean, I know that a lot of the teachers who teach, uh, for example, at the old Walmart in Brownsville, a lot of them are teachers or former teachers or retired teachers who teach at that shelter. Is every class is taught there taught by a state certified teacher? I'm not sure. I doubt it. I think that I think they, they get overwhelmed and I think they sort of kind of have whoever is available to teach those classes. And, you know, the, the, I was told that there is a system in which um, ORR, which is the, kind of the federal overseer, wants to know for each kid you know, there's different case logs. And so each each kid has to, it, 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 there's a case log that says this child received on this date the minimum of six hours. And if that doesn't happen, then different red flags sort of come up and the shelters have to explain why a certain child did not meet those six hours, like if it was for a medical issue or something like that. Uh, in this one of your latest stories that you wrote with Dana Goldstein, you mentioned... Uh, a few specific cases of migrant children that lawyers and advocates, um, at least in talking to you, have found particularly disturbing. There is the case of a 16-year-old girl from Honduras who has been in detention since last August, so nearly a year ago, but she's partly deaf and has not been given a hearing aid? Yes, yeah, that's my understanding. And uh, Dana talked to that lawyer on that case, so she kind of knows a little bit more about the specifics there. But yeah, I mean, there there are... You know, when we kind of set out to gather up some of the stories and the anecdotes about uh, education in the shelter system, there was no shortage of the lawyers for the migrant parents who had complaints, who had serious complaints, who had issues with uh, how their child was treated and what was happening. I think there's just a lot of questions about a system that is very public right now, but is not used to being public and, 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 and does not want to release information, does not want to really sort of discuss 
describe what the world is like on the inside. I think they argue that, well, the reason they do that is to protect the privacy of the children and that that is their main priority. Uh, and I see that, and I, I totally I get it. But I also know that there's enough complaints and allegations that have come out that I think requires them to be a little bit more forthcoming and transparent about the quality of particularly the education. Right, and, and just a, another anecdote, at least contained in this last story, from a, a shelter in Manville, Texas, which is just south of Houston. Lawyers uh, tell you and, and your colleague some children have been um, so heavily dosed with psychiatric drugs um, purportedly to treat things like depression and anxiety that they fall asleep in class um, for hours at a time. Um, have you been able to find uh, out more about that? You know, I mean, yes, a little bit. Um, that uh, shelter is called Shiloh, and, and the Shiloh uh, shelter is one of the shelters that we're actually looking into and doing a, a kind of a quick investigative piece about. And so, essentially, those are, you know, sort of kind of valid uh, allegations of, uh, and Shiloh is a little bit different. You know, there are, there are different types of shelters. So the um, like the shelter that I was talking about at the old Walmart in Brownsville, that is sort of a kind of a traditional shelter. But when certain children are identified as having emotional problems, when they're having, when they're identified as having mental health issues, those children, a smaller number of those children are taken to more secure, even more secretive shelters around the country that only work with some of the most troubled migrant youth. And it's and it's how those shelters operate and what they do. Again, there's an even deeper layer of, of secrecy and our different issues that have come up with how those kids are treated. A lot of them, there are complaints about uh, forced uh, kids being sort of held down and, and, and drugged by force. Uh, in some of those sites, and again, it, it uh, you know the use of medications in those sites is not unusual. They, they they treat kids who either have PTSD, they have depression. Uh, some of them are suicidal. Some of them have attempted suicide. So they are dealing with very kids with mental health issues, and 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 I'm sure that that poses a lot of issues and problems for them. But how they treat those children, that, that, that's a it's definitely worth exploring a little bit. Yeah, and I think as we talk about all these cases, I mean, to the sentiment that you, I, I imagine you probably hear a lot as well, these kids are not citizens. Um, so, I mean, they they should not or maybe are not afforded the the um, the same uh, privileges and, and services that American children would. But in fact, you, you note in your story that, that federal law actually does say that once kids are on American soil, um, yeah, they do get that, don't they? They do, yeah, and I think that you know, for all the 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 complaints that we reported in our story, for all the criticisms that we aired from various people, it's clear that you know a large number of these migrant kids are getting educated uh, at these shelters on the on the federal you know dime, as it were, and I think that you know is a good thing. I think that these there are, there are children. Who are sort of on the, on the doorstep of America, and if a child is in detention for thirty days, you know what do you do with that child? You know, um, um, do you have them, you know, sort of watch TV for for thirty days, or, or do you use it to to try to to try to teach them, to try to educate them? 
Uh, one of the things I was sort of struck by is that particularly at, at some of the Southwest Key facilities, and this is the, uh, Southwest Key runs the, uh, the Walmart in Brownsville. I went on a media tour there. And after the media tour and doing other reporting and then talking to people who work there, there's definitely, there was a, there was a, um, a very kind of uh, pro-America, sort of like patriotic uh, kind of feel in, in, the, in the different images that are on the inside of the shelter. Um, yeah, but then you saw like like famous images now of of like Barack Obama and Donald Trump seen, and exactly yeah. There's there, there's a Trump mural and sort of we've all seen that and but but there are other murals as well. There's murals about uh, Lincoln. There's one from Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, um, and you know and, and then you know and I described this in in our piece when I was walking around in in the hallways of the classrooms. You know it's feels like a school. It looks and feels like a school. You're in a, in a hallway. There's construction paper designs on the walls. There's you know, bulletin boards, different notes, messages to staff. And there was a, there was a tree branch that uh, designed to sort of show the three branches of government. And they were focusing on that because of the 4th of July holiday. And so, you know, th- there, was a, there was an attempt to, to sort of, in a way, to sort of welcome these kids to America. And some of what they're teaching has to do with really basic stuff like this is a dollar, and you know this is this is um, you know the money that we use in our economy, and sort of like you know, and so I think that you know that is, is sort of noteworthy, like some way to sort of help welcome these kids, you know, to our country because a lot of them will end up staying here with relatives or with a sponsor. Um, so I think I think I think that is important. You know, it is noteworthy that. There is an attempt at, at uh, welcoming them, and again, it's a matter of you know the quality of that attempt, right? And and when when does it achieve its goal, and when does it fail? And that's kind of what, what we're trying to look at. Well, Manny Fernandez, he reports for the New York Times. I'll look forward to seeing um, your stories about this topic, the various um, angles of it, uh, come out in future days and weeks. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure, no, no problem. Thanks for having me. Well, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. You can find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And once you do, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed the conversation you've just heard, then subscribe, leave us a review, and keep that conversation going. Until next time, remember kids, be nice to your teachers.